today on Doomed. Well, demonstrators with a white supremacist group and counter-protesters will descend on the city of Noonan. Hello, Newman. Jack Smith IV of Mike.com joins the show live from Georgia to bring us a report from the neo-Nazi rally in the small town of Noonan. We discuss how the rise of the alt-right and white supremacist movement is going out with a whimper post-Charlottesville, the hilarious fall of the traditionalist workers' party, the success of Antifa, but where the next far-right threat lies. All that and even more on today's episode of Doomed with Matt Binder. Hey everyone, so uh, uh, a quick turnaround time on this one today. Uh, I'm striving to bring you this episode uh, as soon as possible, as the events discussed on the show during the interview have just unfolded. So I'll make this part of the show today short and brief. You can support this show by subscribing on iTunes and, you guessed it, leaving a review. Come on, do it. Also, support this show by subscribing to the Patreon page over at patreon.com slash mattbinder. I'm asking for only $5 a month, and it's because of all you that I can continue to put out this free show and try and upgrade where I can to make it even better. And finally, if you like the show, tell all your friends. All right, listeners, with all that out of the way, enjoy. All right, so joining us now is Jack Smith IV. He's a senior writer and reporter at Mike.com, covering nationalism, white supremacy, among other things. And he is, right now, talking to us live. He's still in Georgia. Uh, Jack, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Really, really happy to be here. I'm still here in Georgia and Atlanta. I fly out soon, but it's uh, it's been a little bit of an adventure. I... I I'm sure it's been just looking at some of these videos and and reports from on the ground. And speaking of which, I'm I'm really grateful that you specifically have been able to join us today because, you know, I've been following uh, the rise of the alt-right and more explicitly the rise of straight up neo-Nazis in the U.S. That's sort of been occurring these past couple of years and there's been journalists and reporters who, who this has become their, their beat. This is what they do. This is what they cover. And, uh, I mean, so it's, it's amazing to think that this movement, uh, this Nazi movement, this white supremacist movement in this country has, has grown to the point where it, it has become someone's, multiple people's job to specifically cover just that or, or majority um, cover just that. Um, but there's... Even taking that into consideration, there's so few uh, of those journalists and reporters who really get what's going on here. And you, to me, are one of those few who really see what's happening. Well, and I will say the, one of the reasons it, it may appear that way, there's a, there's a few – there's a few of us who are sort of like on the beat and who take it from different angles. And by the way, when we're here, we like know each other. We recognize – like these rallies are also like – their their sec their you know tertiary function is to be like a reunion for all of these reporters uh, who, who who come to these rallies. Um, we all recognize each other and see each other, and one one of us can't make it. We tweet fun things at them, but but uh, in in all seriousness, um, there are kind of a lot of different ways to approach this beat. Um, there's, for example, you know there are better reporters than me working at guys like Chris Mathias, who specifically, for example, focuses on the uh, extremist right now, at least he's focusing on the extremist element, right? So right. a little bit of the street violence, um, the uh, domestic terrorism and, uh, far right organized violence. He was just covering the crusaders. There are people who, um, sort of hover the incredibly online aspects of it. Mike Edison Hayden is really in the thick of how, how these guys operate on a daily basis. Um, and sort of my, my tack is, um, looking sort of deeply engaging with their politics, taking them in context with history and sort of the and, and sort of engaging with them very, very directly um, about what their beliefs are. But the beat has also changed quite a bit. Um, right. And we can get we can get into that because um, their movement is totally in shambles. Right. Uh, in a, yes. And we'll get to that in a moment for sure. Yeah. Um, but let's right now start with 
what happened this past weekend, just yesterday, uh, to, to date this recording right now, uh, it's Sunday morning, the morning after this event, uh, there was a neo-Nazi rally in Noonan, Georgia. Yep. So the the group that we're talking about when we talk about the the neo Nazis are the National Socialist Movement. So if you you know people call, talk about like the so called you might call it the alt right or or whatever white nationalism whatever the hell it is, these are the guys. The National Socialist Movement, which has been around for quite a long time, are your sort of. Um, what some people deride as like neo-Nazi cosplayers, but th- these are the guys who are very familiar to the tropes of white supremacy. Right. So they very often have the shaved heads. They only very recently stopped using the swastika in their emblems. They wear the death's head. <laughs> Bad branding, you know? Patches. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Uh, actually, um, I think, uh, you know, uh, they're led by a guy who calls himself Commander Jeff Scoop. Uh, his name's Jeff Scoop, Commander Jeff, um, and uh, there are very, very few of them. They they throw up the you know the Heil, the Roman salute. Um, so when we say neo Nazis, like we, it's not sort of like a it's not sort of like a, a broadening of the definition. It's it's really unambiguously the neo Nazis, and, and and this is probably the most organized, forthright, obvious neo Nazi group in the country. And together with a, a few other groups. Um, like Traditionalist Workers' Party, which is now defunct, and um, League of the South, which are neo-Confederates. These sort of comprise the hardline white nationalist organized element in the country. So this na- the National Socialist Movement was in Georgia holding their conference, their sort of their their yearly uh, uh, get-together. They do a banquet. They, they all um, have a meeting. And Is it usually it, uh, in Noonan, Georgia? No, no. So it's they do it all. I'm pretty sure they do it all over this year. It was in Temple. Um, the rumor is that there is a white supremacist, um, sort of a white supremacist sympathetic bar that has changed names a few times at Georgia Peach, Pat's Oyster Bar. But it's this it's a white supremacist sympathetic bar in Georgia. Many people believed it was held there this year, but they hold it all over. By the way, I want to make. You know, it's funny. People talk about, okay, so like, uh, uh, why Noonan, right? Um, because That's one of can, my questions. That's one of the questions yeah. I have down, written down. <laughs> why Noonan? So so on the one hand, uh, if a little fun uh, history here for a second, uh, during the uh, Civil War, um, the Union Army, General uh, Sherman, one of the America's historically most effective uh, generals led the famous Sherman's March to the Sea, where he is the, one of the few times scorched earth tactics have ever been used on American soil. He burned his and bur- broke his way through Georgia, destroying essential infrastructure and just fucking burned everything to the ground. Noonan was safe. Noonan was a hospital city. Uh, they mm-hmm. they took in uh, con- they they converted almost every major building or about seven major structures at the time uh, into hospitals and. Uh, it was a place where they treated Union and Confederate soldier alike. Seen through the lens of the lost cause, the false lost cause mythology of the Confederacy, one might look at Noonan and think Noonan remains sort of this unadulterated symbol of Confederate, um, not just resilience, but also chivalry. So one would say, oh, that's probably why they chose Noonan. No, uh, they chose Noonan just randomly. They choose everything just randomly. <laughs> These guys, th- this is like very typical for the National Socialist Movement, particularly, um, and formerly the tra- Traditionalist Workers Party. It's just where they could get a permit. Um, Noonan is like a nice town, population thirty-eight thousand. Uh, it's a town square. It's got some cool buildings. So, you know, not Charlottesville size, but a, a, a small south- southern city. Still Confederate right. monuments up uh, right. deep south, but. Um, but uh, they so so Noonan was sort of there's there's no justification for Noonan. Jeff Scoop was asked on set the same question and he gave an answer that was like, oh, we've got a, a base of support in the region. But other representatives of his, I believe they've insisted to me over the phone. Yeah. So somebody insisted to me over the phone back when they held their last march in Shelbyville, Tennessee. Uh, no, we just kind of pick them at random. <laughs> Uh, so there's no, very, very little sense here. And and one of the things I think is really important to recognize is that um, the, the National Socialist Movement is, like, not the necessarily the most, like, coherent or sophisticated branch of the white nationalist movement, let's say. Right. These um, guys have been around for a long time, and they're only now really getting 
this 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 press coverage and this attention because everybody else has done the work in rising raising the moment the movement on their own. like the other groups brought the movement into the forefront and these guys are just like well we've been doing this for a long time and, and haven't been able to do this let's jump on board yep that that's a that is a really succinct way of of talking about what's happened here because you know to do a to do a quick uh breakdown um you know, there was this there, there was this moment we had. It was the rise of the so-called alt-right, and nobody knew what the fuck it was. And by the way, neither did they. So it, we had the 4chan trolls and the men's rights reactionaries and the misogynist extremists and the white nationalists and the Pepe's or whatever. Um, and you know, since Trump's election, basically the mission of this group has been define trying to define what it believes in. And every attempt at doing so causes more division and more collapse. Um, we actually saw this. This was very unexamined. But we actually saw this in the run up to Charlottesville, because that's what Charlottesville was, by the way. People forget that the purpose of the rally in Charlottesville was that the white nationalist right was declaring its intentions that this so-called alt-right specifically be a, mo uh, a movement based in... Um, based in the, the, the creation of a white ethnostate. And that's what led, for example, um, Gavin McGinnis. That's right. when he tapped, ta he tapped out. That's exactly when Gavin McGinnis tapped out. Right. It's um, right in the name, Unite the Right. That was the name of yep. the rally, right. Yep. And, uh, and bef see, before then, remember, there, there are people like uh, Jack Basobiec and Mike Cernovich who were playing around with the alt-right. I believe it was June or July before the the Unite the Right rally, that they tapped out. They Richard Spencer held a, a rally in D.C. with Chris Cantwell and James Alsup and Mike Enoch and those guys. And Posobiec and Cernovich said, no, fuck it, we're, gonna, we're, we're moving our side of the rally onto the other side of town. And that's when the sort of conservative media rat fuckers tapped out. And then when we got to Charlottesville, immediately we saw more divisions. So, uh, you know, Kessler... The guy who organized the the person who's only relevant because he organized the the rally in the first place, uh, he said, you know, oh well, Heather Heyer uh, died, something like she's a pig and a commie, and then Spencer they exercised him from the movement, and honestly, we could do we could do hours of like how one after the other, almost every one of these guys and every one of these organizations have collapsed in. Richard Spencer recent recently came out and said. Uh, Antifa's winning. All of my uh, college appearances are going poorly, so I'm going to stop doing them. Right. Chris can't. Chris Cantwell uh, uh, was like, "Yeah, so what?" I talked to the fucking FBI, and everybody was like, "Okay, he's out." Mike <laughs> Mike Enoch still has some credibility with the movement, but the fact that he was doxxed as having, I believe it was Mike Enoch who was doxxed as having a Jewish wife. Um, yes, that's he, him. Yeah, he, he actually survived <laughs> that. He uh, and then. <laughs> he, sur he survived. E Enoch's in okay shape, but like you had, you had all their allies in the classical liberal scene, like Sargon of Akkad, be like, oh, "Fuck it, I'm no, I'm out." That, uh, Paul that, ne those guys like Sargon of Akkad and Dave Rubin. Those, I need to do a show on just those types alone because there is something going on there that to me is really, I, I not to go off topic here a little bit, but the way they're able to use YouTube to basically play this angle where they're not really right-wingers and and actually attract young people who, who believe it and think, oh, I'm listening to these true th free thinkers here. And then what they actually are doing, they're bringing these kids into the far right. It's just something stunning and I think have, has been really uh, ignored by most uh, most people, I think. Uh, well, yes. Um, Peterson is ascendant very rapidly. It's not stopping. He just did Bill Maher, um, which was a pretty un unremarkable appearance, but uh, probably effective for, for boosting his audience. He just did. He's he's on like Tucker Carlson all the time now. Um, Peterson. But the I, I think that's right. And we could get back to it if you want. But 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 identifying this, this. Oh, God, they call themselves the intellectual dark web. Um, identifying them <laughs> as an as an important future for reactionary thought is like dead on because what P what these guys have been able to do very effectively as, as sort of this, uh, alt-right shit collapses in on itself. Um, you know, because these people don't disappear, all the people who are anti SJW, you know, right. uh, 
right. men's grievance, white reactionaries. Um, they still need a place for their energy. And actually, Peterson, to his own testimony, has been incredibly effective at saying, no, 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 no. You can actually keep all that. You can have uh, – we bring that – a lot of that is welcome. Um, but you can do it without the anti-Semitism, and you can do it without misogynist extremism. You just need a little bit more of a framework here. Um, and that what they've really done is salvage what they can from neo-reactionary thought on behalf of mainstream conservatism. Because really what these guys are doing is they're raising perfect conservative individualists. And the only evidence you need for that is – the idea that David Brooks and Tyler Cowen and uh, to a lesser extent people like Marr and Tucker Carlson and Ben Shap- totally Ben Shapiro yes. are fucking fawning over him. They love him. Yeah, um, he's because he, he's, 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 he's very effective. Absolutely. Like I was like you could th- easily throw him in that. Like, I mean, that's why we we're talking about him. He's in that group with Sargon and uh and Dave Rubin, among other people, but he is seen because of his professorial status. He's an intellectual, and his words are being taken with more sincerity than you know someone who like Dave Rubin or Sargon, who just who goes by the name Sargon of Akkad. I mean, there's no way you're putting that guy on a on a on a national platform with with, with a name like that. I mean, <laughs> so Peterson yeah. Peterson checks all the boxes for them. Um, but I I want to definitely get back to that. But let's go back to um what's what happened in noonan so yeah so okay right sorry the day of so what right. happens is they uh was there was there was there like i remember for charlottesville there was a big event the night before where they basically terrorized uh the students on a on a local campus so they didn't they they had their meeting the night before but they didn't um they didn't have anything public what they did last night so after the rally real quick after the rally they did a lighting uh, I tweeted out some of those photos. They they did like a – you would recognize it as cross-burning, but they burned a giant swastika and a giant like um, something called an odal rune. It's uh, But it's another s- symbol of theirs. Uh, but, I see that, yeah. new, that new branding plan of removing the swastika from their uh, their their marketing platform isn't they're going to well. <laughs> they're, 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 this group particularly is incredibly inconsistent. You know, Jeff – Commander Jeff was giving – interviews yesterday and people were asking things like like oh you you so you um you you're fine with legal immigration he's like oh yeah if people are here legally uh that's we're totally cool with that um that's 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 we we just want fair path to citizenship and stuff and it's like i don't know dude i'm pretty sure you, you like last like earlier today we're talking about like like he's got all these Right. That's did just, like, you not che- representative of their Commander Jeff, did you check with everyone else in your group before making that statement? I don't somebody, think you did. <laughs> somebody asked him. Somebody asked him, "Why would you use a, a slogan like like white power?" And he was like, "I don't believe I said that today." And they were like, "Okay, that guy said it." And they like pointed to somebody nearby. They're like, "Those couple guys shouted it when they were next to you." And he was like, "I can neither confirm nor deny." <laughs> he said that. Right. Uh, uh, that's that's. That's pretty. That's pretty frequent. He he gives up on a lot of really hard questions. Very famously, one time I I like not very famously. What the fuck am I saying? I I asked him. I had a I had a good clip where I asked him. Um, I was like, hey man, where does the ethno state go? Like just like where you know, um, <laughs> pretty simple logistics stuff. Like where would you put it? And he was like, oh I don't know if uh, I could talk about that. Right. And I was like, uh, oh um, why? It's a very secret plan. That's why. No, he was, he was like, it's very controversial. People have differing ideas. I don't know if I want to come down one side or another on this sort of a sectarian debate. The Bronx. And I was just like, dude, like, where would you put it? He's like, oh, I don't know. And he, like, walked away. Like, he got very shy about that part of the interview. Um, uh, but these, these, you know, here's here's what I, I will say real quick before we talk about the end, end our bit on the collapse of the, uh, the alt-right. Right. The other guy who was a big partner of not necessarily a partner, but sort of like a, another leader alongside Jeff was Matthew Heimbach in the traditionalist work. Yes, party. I was. I wanted to get to him, but I wasn't sure. But yeah, you know what? let's just let's just do it. Let's get. I was going to save it for later, but let's do it because this story is fantastic. If it's, you if you've been following these white supremacists and it's you, fucking wild, right? And you want to see and and you and from obviously you dislike them. Uh, 
and this is to my listeners, and if you dislike them, uh, then this story will give you a peace of mind. You will yeah, so, walk away from this story truly uh, walking on clouds. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah, so, 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 we, so we jumped around a little bit. So we've got uh, Trump's election, the alt-right trying to figure itself out. Uh, Charlottesville, uh, everybody's the movement starts tearing itself apart. And uh, eventually, as of a couple of months ago, basically all public face facing activism on what you'd call the alt right had been pared down to uh, a small handful of neo-Nazi groups, one of which was the traditionalist worker party. The traditional these are the guys. If you've seen Charlottesville footage, these are the guys with the black helmets and the black Dickies work shirts. Um, they use Dickies to sort of channel the energy of the sort of the worker. Um, and uh, and they were sort of the the much more promising forward looking blood and soil uh, movement. Uh, and they'd sort of done a pretty good job of maintaining respectability because they'd been led by this guy called Matthew Heimbach. Heimbach is a guy famous for having started the White Students Union at his, I think it was Clemson or Georgetown or whatever school it was when he was in, in college, and sort of created this neo-Nazi movement, He's a big son of the Confederacy. And Heimbach is is, is uh, smart and he's articulate and he's I, it's fairly ideological consistent. He's moved a little bit, but he sticks on message and he gives a uh, you know he gives a, a hell of an interview, right? Like he's. He is uh, – I don't think it's useful to talk about whether one guy is smart or another, even when talking about Jordan Peterson, because Ma- Matthew Heimbach's effective. He knows how to and play he, the media. He knows how to work it to his advantage, which a lot of these guys don't know how to do. Yeah, and he really knows how to uh, – he really has a holistic ideology. He can he, he, he can really apply his – he doesn't have a couple of talking points. He can, you, you can really talk to him. Um, like this guy, but, this, uh, guy, this guy was getting around even before I would say the official uh, – you know, the official – Rise of the alt right, like there oh, yeah, were he was, there were th- pieces about him written, media interviews, video. Like he was on TV, on web series. He was getting out there even before like the alt right really became uh, this nationally known entity, which then uh, led to the rise of straight up neo Nazis and white supremacists. Right, because we have to remember that before Trumpism and sort of bef- before. Uh, white nationalism had sort of re-entered the American popular imagination as as a as sort of a threat to the body politic. Um, we really saw probably ten years ago uh, neo-Nazi groups as an aberration and a and a sideshow and a, and a, and a hor- uh, an attraction uh, sort of sort of a something to gawk at and rubberneck at. Um, and so every once in a while, yes, you'd get a magazine profile about an irrelevant neo-Nazi of, of one stripe or another. And, and Matthew Heimbach very, very often got these profiles uh, of, oh, this is the sun ascent. If anybody's going to build the white power movement, it's going to be this guy. Okay, so so Matthew Heimbach stars ascendant. Great. Uh, the alter, the uh, Trumpism and the alt-right come about, and he starts to build this movement. Uh, Charlottesville, he saw Charlottesville as a big victory. And then something happened. Um, a couple, I believe it was probably early March, um, in the past couple of months, uh, Matthew Heimbach got into a little bit of a scuffle. So this is going to be a little bit tough to follow. I'll try to make it as quick and easy as possible. Matthew Heimbach has a spokesperson. Spokesperson's name is Matt Parrott. So Parrott and Heimbach found the Traditionalist Worker Party together. And uh, Heimbach's the voice and the leader, and Parrott does um, the web admin shit, and he's the spokesperson, and he you know manages the member roles. Um, so... Uh, Turns out Matthew Heimbach was fucking Parrot's wife for about uh, three months. Okay, so it spends about three months having sex with this guy's wife. Okay, fine. So um, when I guess I guess uh, now when this story cost- when this story broke though it was it was written as he was doing this with his landlord's wife. So I'm assuming even though they were partners or working together in the traditionalist workers party, I'm guessing he was also renting from this guy. So okay, uh, yes. So we'll add we'll add that layer. This this gets really rough because it's not just his landlord; it's his stepdad. So um, whoa, no, sorry, whoa, whoa, father. I forgot fa- about that. You're right. Father-in-law, <laughs> father-in-law, not stepfather. Okay, this is this is a messy. So let's start with spokesman. So he's fucking his spokesman's wife for three months. The spokesman confronts his wife, Jessica. Jessica is something like I think it goes. Uh, there's there's some sort of discussion that leads to Jessica insisting that the affair had been going on for three months but was over. Um, so what happens? And this is really tough to approximate um what happens is is jet there's a scheme to lure heimbach to a trailer where jessica is where jessica will attempt to see if heimbach will try and seduce her 
as Matt Parrott watches from a window while standing on a box um, <laughs> to, to sort of like – it's like a sting operation. Like, okay, if the affair is over, will he or won't he keep his – you know, get back on his bullshit? So – he stands on a box waiting at the window, also with Heimbach's wife, Brooke, uh, who appears at some point in the story. Um, so it's very unclear from the police report and the various um, statements given, which are contradictory. It is possible, extrapolating from one statement, that not only did Heimbach try to seduce Jessica Parrott, but they actually began having sex. Um, so uh, anyway, in true uh, Acme Looney Tunes fashion, the box... Uh, uh, Parrot is standing on brakes and he falls and he runs around to the front and confronts Heimbach and there's a scuffle where like Heimbach, he tells Heimbach to get the fuck out, get off the property. Heimbach puts him in a headlock until he passes out. Um, when Parrot wakes up, Parrot like throws a chair at Heimbach or something and Heimbach puts him in another headlock and he passes out again. Um, he goes, he goes to a nearby, I think Walmart parking lot and calls the police and says that he's been assaulted by his wife and his wife's boyfriend. Um, uh, so, uh, what's the last piece of this? Oh, yeah. So, Parrot uh, is Heimbach's spokesman. Not just that, but Heimbach's wife, Brooke, is Parrot's stepdaughter from a previous marriage. So, Heimbach was not just fucking his spokesman and co-founder, but his um, wife's stepfather's wife amazing in in another police report brooke heimbach identifies jessica parrott as her landlord so it's like really tough to unpack this but here's the here's the important part the important part is that uh parrott uh in revenge turns to the southern poverty law center because by the way um the southern poverty law center hate watch report is by by a couple of people's accounts Read by white nationalists the same way, like, self-obsessed media people would read The All or Gawker. Oh, of or, like, course. Or, Gaw- like, Gawker in 2002. It's, like, how they, how they like, uh, get the dirt on the, the, their own community. Right, and I guess um, also gauge how successful they are if they get on that, 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 that list. Right, but, yeah, they're, like, yeah, they're, like, uh, weird, you know, they, they watch it obsessively, like, uh, you know, socialites to figure out what's going on. And and by the way, numerous times in SPLC history, people from the movement who want out or want to talk shit will just give giant interviews to the SPLC. Right. Derek Black did it when he disavowed his father. Jeff Scoop of the National Socialist Movement, his wife did it and was like, so the, the Nazi in Noonan yesterday, his wife came out like four years ago and was like, he doesn't believe any of this shit. He just does it for the fucking money. Um but anyway, it's not so, surprising being how he doesn't seem to have any uh, real belief that he, from what you were describing him as. His, he seems really to just tough. jump from statement to statement, contradictory sometimes. It's very difficult to get a coherent um, even quote for a baseline story out of, of Jeff Scoop sometimes. Anyway, back to the Heimbach thing. That, that, the way that story ends is Matt Parrott in vengeance. You know, like obviously, like don't fuck your spokesman's wife. But, like also don't fuck your like father-in-law's wife. But um, mo- perhaps most importantly, don't fuck your webmaster's wife, uh, <laughs> because what Parrot did was he deleted um, the website. Uh, apparently, like most, if not all copies of the member roles and all member registry information, he basically destroyed all the TWP infrastructure and protests and went to the SPLC and gave the I don't know why one would do this, but he told the SPLC in third person. Matt Parrott's out of the game. The SPLC has won. Have a nice life. Wow. Um, and he called the whole thing. He told somebody, he told Kelly Wilde, the Daily Beast, he was like, it's a white trash circus. He used the term. So, um, so that, so that the TWP is no more. And the TWP was actually a pretty articulate organization. So what we saw in Noonan yesterday, okay. So now we have a history. We have, we have the, alt-right kind of coalesces around trump gets excited yeah. tries to figure itself out and i think a lot apart. i think a lot of people though are because we are separating the alt-right and and white supremacists and neo-nazis in this and a lot of people will probably who are listening to this might comment to me and reply to me or email me message me and say you know they're, they're one and the same and i agree with that but there is a difference and i think we're we, we, we brought that up but i really want to stress the difference is that the alt-right people are 
aware of how it looks and doesn't want to call themselves white supremacists or Nazis and they try to brand themselves differently. And again, they might they might have the same beliefs, they might they might have the same goals in the end, but that is a, a very important difference when you I mean just talking about the nationalist socialist movement who held this Noonan rally, uh, how effective they are compared to how the alt-right was effective in bringing all of this to the mainstream. I mean, there is a big difference there, even though the underlying beliefs are, for the most part, one and the same. Yeah, and, and by the way, so like that's a good question. I, I'd actually love to address that, right? Is because I'm one of those people who's like who uses words like this shit carefully, right? Yeah. Um, so... Here's let me give an example of why it's good to cut deeply into these kinds of distinctions, like why it's good to cut between the Heimbachs and the Commander Jeffs of the world and those Nazis and somebody like a Richard Spencer or even some people in that media sphere like a Lauren Southern, who's a far right sort of citizen journalist who spends a lot of time lately. Her latest documentary is about uh, farmers in South Africa losing their land in some sort of. Uh, alleged white genocide. So um, when she's not being a pirate and trying to stop refugees from reaching Europe. <laughs> yeah. So so let's talk about why just that. And there are dozens of these distinctions. But let's talk about why that one is popular, because uh, on the one hand, one of these things comes out of the neo-Nazi tradition and the neo-Confederate tradition. So in that realm, we're dealing with the political coherency of America's own racist past and how politicians and how movements uh, interact with that history and interact with it in our real spaces, right? Our monu- we have our monuments, we have, uh, we have politicians who are still um, Confederate sympathetic. I believe it's the governor of Mississippi is still the most high-paying dues member of, I believe it's Sons of the Confederate Veterans Organization. I mean, uh, Neo-Confederate thought is still in our society but hell but we have really steve, we have steve king out there just straight up almost parroting the 14 words yeah so and, uh, and and but at the same time there are a lot of conservative politicians who who get a lot of get a lot of get a lot of it's politically effectacious of them to look at something like charlottesville and say oh you know we stand against hate etc so there, there's a really reflexive and interesting story there about america its own racist history and the confederacy right Right. So, like, why distinguish that from somebody like a Richard Spencer and a Lauren Southern? Well, what Lauren Southern particularly is what Richard Spencer calls a tourist tour. Uh, she does what's called, I think it's what he referred to once as um, tour, tourist nationalism. Uh, there is a European identitarian moment right now where in, in response to um, – there is a significant European movement, um, broadly called the identitarian movement, but a right-wing reactionary nationalist movement uh, in response to immigration, but also in response to the refugee crisis, because Europe is doing quite a bit to um, sort of ameliorate the 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 um, sort of immense chaos caused caused by. Uh, the, the refugee crisis. And in response, we have what's called sometimes the identitarian movement. Um, it has enormous political, uh, it has enormous political clout in various countries, whether you're talking about Casa Pound in Italy uh, or what's happening in Poland, which is astounding. I mean, when they hold rallies at 60,000 people with torches, um, I mean, Poland recently declared uh, Jesus Christ the king of Poland uh, officially. Uh, there's, there's, Congrats you know, to you, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. So there, there's a significant identitarian movement, and we in America have a white nationalist right that is – that is connecting and seeking and trying to establish a kinship with very powerful um, European movements. And by the way, you know, when uh, guys like Martin Selner, who is who is one of these identitarians, uh, is stopped at the U- is, is pre- prevented from entering the UK that becomes a free speech issue that because we don't have the same kind of context uh, makes it onto Fox news and mainstream media. There, right. there, 
this is it's really difficult to disentangle these things and obviously they all come from reaction and they come from racism and they come from xenophobia but they operate differently politically different corners of this movement have different uh futures their sectarian infighting is while it's not important for everyone to understand um is still relevant to observing how these movements will develop uh so um when people say like, "Oh, call them all Nazis," it's like, "Look, I, I'm I'm fine with it. Um, every, if everyone else wants to. If that's, I, I am not an activist. I'm not. Pol- uh, I am not a political activist. If I political activism requires destruction of nuance, often, right? Like if you are if you are right. an anti-fascist activist, um, you know the. These subtle differences are not only unimportant, they complicate the work you're trying to do. So I'm I'm, I'm very sympathetic to the fact that the activist cause requires um, sort of abandoning a lot of the hand-wringing and the nuance and the uh, examination. Um, That's not the necessarily, you know, I don't tell people how to build movement. It's it's strategy, exactly, for sure. Yeah, I— yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't proselytize. I think that one of the most useless, you know, as much as I cover anti-fascism, um, and people try to guess at my politics, my my number one rule is I just, I just don't fucking tell. And one of the things that was just miserable around Charlottesville, I don't fucking tell movements how to behave. I never, I am not in the business of giving advice. Um, so, uh, but for for I think it's important for for journalists uh, to dig a little deeply into these nuances because they have very bright futures. Um, many of them, not necessarily our friends because when they showed up in Noonan and now finally we're getting to yesterday's rally, uh, there's about 30 of them. Uh, there is an incredible amount of police. I mean, the police presence was absolutely, uh, total, uh, roads were closed, dozens of checkpoints set up. Um, most businesses in downtown Noonan of which there were dozens closed, uh, I had seen I had seen some photos of 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 um, uh, from journalists who were saying the police were being really uh, even even more so than usual heavy handed with the uh, counter protesters Antifa. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, They well, Georgia, funny enough, because of the KKK, I believe in the fifties, has a no mask law um, that was being rigorously enforced. We actually have Uh, the same in here in New York City, which is interesting. Yeah, and on the one hand, it's like, uh, on the one hand, people were, you could say, like, people were warned that don't wear masks, and then some people wore masks and were arrested. On the other hand, uh, the police were, like, charging into crowds, doing snatch and grabs, and at one point, um, raising their uh, firearms, raising rifles to protesters who had their hands raised who were who were just often maybe maybe i using their bodies to intercede but there was no apparent sign of scuffle with police um but yeah a bunch of cops obviously uh appeared to have become suddenly nervous and raised their rifles at a bunch of protesters uh horrifyingly um Jeez. and i believe about uh chris Mathias at huff post uh says it's like about 10 people um, were arrested. Uh, conversely, um, because the neo Nazis were permit holders. Um, well, Jack, the, the counter protesters were wearing masks. You have to understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, here's the thing: is and actually, by the way, most of them were not. Um, there were a couple of people who have pull, had pulled up a bandana up to their nose, perhaps. But um, the there. By, by the way, there would have been no opportunity for a counter protester to have done any sort of harm to the neo-nazis the counter-protest the two groups were separated by like multiple fences and then barricades and then half length of like a football field and then like a, a infinite cops um but was, th- was there any attempt by the the neo-nazis or anyone who, attending the neo-nazi rally who i guess would be neo-nazis uh was there was there any attempt by any of those people to uh, engage with uh antifa or any of the counter-protesters no, uh, they were asked, you know, what do you think of the counter-protesters? And Jeff was like, well, we see them as communists uh, and anarchists. Uh, we believe that there might be some non-communists in there, but pretty much holistically, those are communists, um, and we don't deal with them. Uh, How did the community, like the town, the people who live there, because I, I saw pictures of, of these huge marches, uh, huge, I guess, for a, a, what would I you would consider, I guess, a, a town of that size, uh, from what seemed like not, you know... Uh, activists or antifa but just from community members who were protesting the event 
Well, normies are pretty are pretty uh, specific, and 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 regular people in the community are pretty specific about how they feel about all these events, which is that they don't. You know, if you ask a general that ninety percent of regular townsfolk, like, what do you think of everything going on in town? Uh, most don't want to talk about it. I believe it's garish. Uh, uh, think it's ugly that it's happening. Wish it wasn't. Um, and usually they're like, oh, I you think those Nazis are terrible? Um, but, but you know, sometimes the Antifa, like, why, why do they have to wear masks? Um, mostly people just wish it wasn't happening. Now, on the one hand, yes, there was a large con- contingent in Georgia that came and did chalking and, and did some rallies in, in solidarity with, with anti-racism, which was like a sincere and a warming gesture. Um, and on the other hand, um, there were apparently many people, uh, this was like on Twitter and some reporters I talked to who were saying that like the communities of color in Noonan were like not totally convinced that because, and this is one thing that's really important about American neo-Nazism in general, that just because a largely white, largely conservative constituency says, oh, no, 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 we could never, you know, um, that, that is not the kind of sentiment that we endorse or uh, believe reflects our community. You know, these communities are like, well, you know, when the Nazis go home, we still have to contend with conservatism and racism in our communities. Right. Um, and, and you know, that's, that's sort of why a lot of these rallies become politically efficacious for many conservatives in general uh, is because... Uh, they offer the opportunity. You know, it's really interesting. Jo- Jordan Peter said something um, the other. He has this thing he returns to a couple of times in his criticisms of the, the left. And he says the far the, the conservatives and the right have done a great job at identifying sort of um, the ultimate taboos. And the the markers of extremism in their own ranks. So what Jordan Peterson and the Jordan Peterson's criticism is that the left hasn't done this, that the left embraces its radical fringe. So what Peterson says is conservatives identify, uh, for example, racial superiority as an issue which is like non grata, right? Like if you are a if you're a neo-Nazi, you're not welcome. And he and he credits, he says, you know, back in the day, we had William F. Buckley and Buckley, uh, David Duke tried to glom on. And Buckley says all the David Duke types are out, not welcome in the conservative movement. Um, and it's a completely ridiculous way of looking at history. Um, uh, William F. Buckley advocated for segregation, laid the ideological groundwork for perpetuating a system of uh, racism in America through American conservatism over the past few decades. This idea that because um, these racist Neanderthals, you, you don't see yourself in these racist Neanderthals, who, by the way, by their own admission, do not claim racial superiority. You know, this idea that this idea that, oh, well, they claim racial superiority. Well, if you ask Jeff Scoop, he'll say, well, no, we don't believe we just believe everybody has a right to self-determination. You know, we're just rugged individualists like everybody else. Um, so that becomes that, that this idea that the right gets to which is I have to be careful here, because what I'm not saying is that, like, there is no meaningful difference between. Um, there's no meaningful difference between mainstream conservative thought and hardline reactionary neo Nazis. I know what you're. I know what you're saying. I, I, but it's it is true though. I mean, there there is it's it there is of course those people who don't feel that way, but then they do have to come to terms that the rest there, there's a a, a a significant portion of their the people who believe in their ideology who do feel that way, and on top of that, the policies that they uh, want enacted they perpetuate that belief and you know steve scalise famously said that you know he's he i believe it was steve scalise i just wanted to make sure i'm correct here that he was you know david duke without the baggage i mean yeah. it, it it comes down to to that when it like we like we it, it is it, it is that discussion of the difference between the alt-right and the straight-up neo-nazis where the the ideology the beliefs the policies they want enacted there's major overlap 
And it just comes down to messaging for the most part. I mean, and then to, for Peterson to say this one, and we can have a discussion forever with multiple people about where President Donald Trump's true heart lies. But regardless of how he really the television. feels. television. Yeah, exactly. But regardless of how he really feels, he did go out as the United States president and say after Charlottesville, after neo-Nazis murdered a counter-protester, he said they were very nice people on both sides, which I don't know about you, but if at the very least, if you just saw neo-Nazis murder someone and there's video showing exactly what this guy did, uh, you wouldn't probably go out there and say, uh, you know, we got to sort of uh, takes two to tango, you know, guys? I mean, it, yeah. it, it's there isn't that like there. Yes, there is a difference, but it is the same difference that separates the alt-right from the straight-up neo-Nazi groups. Yeah, and, and uh, well, and by the way, also, who, who got enormous amounts of credit that day is fucking like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio types who were like, oh, no, not on both sides. No, we, we, we stand, we stand as one, and... Uh, they they sort of you know that that though the move i guess what this whole the whole point is is that these movements end up being a sin eater they end up being the sort of um the the receptacle for anti-racist vitriol right um and and one of the things that's important is and the sort of the overarching theme that i, I think is important to recognize i actually spoke to um somebody from the splc before i went to this rally and I said, I was like, you know, our our jobs all become tougher now in a way because guys like me and some of the other reporters on this beat, we kind of have to figure out where to go because this the, now that the movement's collapsed. OK, so some of us are going to focus on the institutions. Some are going to focus on right wing extremism. Some are going to focus on hate speech. Some are going to focus on like Adam Waffen division. That'll be like ProPublica, right? Um, and some of us will focus on the classical liberals, conservative mm. intellectuals like Jordan Peterson. But this thing, this alt-right thing, isn't a, isn't a, a locus anymore. And for those of us who, who track right-wing extremism in general, the, the problem becomes is track it where? Where does it go? You know, uh, he- Heidi Byrich from the SPLC, she, she told me over the phone – it's going to be in the story I put up later today. Um, she was like, we, we – we could see the num- we could see technically the number of hate groups go down this year because of all the all the turmoil that's been going on but i think it goes without saying that uh, that doesn't reflect on the state of racism of and course, racialized right. hatred and exactly. xenophobia in america um, that's a great point it's, it's just returned to its it's returned to its rest what i like to call its, the the resting state of american racism right which is that like there are thir- there will always be 30 fucking guys uh, cross burning somewhere right like we can that will all those guys will always be amongst us they were there long before the alt right they will be there long after the question is is kind of like what we learned the fluencies that we gained um kind of like what what entered what slipped its way into the mainstream like like one of the things that i'm like really worried about is um is like in in general biological determinism determinism so like yeah we call it like race science but there's like more to it than that not like racial iq science but believing generally that like very sophisticated academic beliefs that for example like like based on personality differences and personality science women this was this um, was just it was just recently in i'm again this might be a bit of a bubble for people who are in you know news media and political media but there was this the recent hubbub the drama between uh ezra klein and sam harris because sam harris had charles murray on his show and sam harris saw nothing wrong with that yeah and by the way here you want to you want to hear like a talking point to like look out for so here's like a really interesting um right-wing talking point that you'll hear all the fucking time it's a big jordan peterson thing um so like one is one is like the disgust narrative so everybody's always talking about disgust uh jordan peterson came out and was like well do you know what the 
big per- five personality trait. The, the personality traits that actually predict uh, conservative behavior isn't fear, it's disgust, which is interesting. But if you ever hear that, that comes from Peterson. More importantly, there's this debate that's happening called equality of opportunity and equality of outcome. So what that means in the Peterson world is um, there's opportunity – uh, there's equality of opportunity, which means that like everyone has a shot at making it right there. Everyone faces the same barriers. Then there's opportunity of outcome, which is what they believe is like perfect gender parity on that uh, in representation. And like, for example, let's just call it politics. Right. Right. Like equality of opportunity is everyone has an equal shot at becoming a congressman. Equality of outcome is 50 percent of congressmen are women and 50 percent are men. And it is representative of the U.S. population, for example. What the new one, – one of these new far-right talking points is that like when anybody ever talks about equality or diversity, it's, oh, well, do you mean opportunity? Uh, do you mean equality of opportunity or op- uh, equality of outcome? Because what they believe is that every uh, – uh, equality of opportunity already fucking exists. The reason why we have gender parity – for example, let's start, start with gender parity – is because women and men will self-select for different professions. The reason because there are more male engineers and women in – uh, teachers is because of like essential trait differences between men and women. Right, and then yeah. you start spiraling into the fucking um, sort of right wing talking point. And then all of a sudden, if you're not kind of fluent in gender psychology and also like the pay gap and all these things, now you've got Peterson running circles around you and talking about, oh, well, did you know that in Scandinavia, uh, an area of the world that has done more to uh, provide equal opportunity, has the highest gender disparities because men and women are so implicitly self-sorting. And then all of a sudden your eyes are in the back of your head. You're like, shit, OK, I, I'm at a loss. And that, that, those are the kinds of new fluencies that are developing important ways. Um, so like, there's a, still a lot to be vigilant for still quite a lot to be vigilant for. Um, even if we might, might possibly not see rallies like we saw them last year again. I mean, I, I, if there are more than one more of these in the entirety of 2018, I'd be pretty surprised. Right. It is interesting to see just how much things changed after Charlottesville, it seems like, I mean, I, I mean, it's obvious that there would be this blowback. There, I'm sure there were a few guys who saw Charlottesville as this big moment where they were able to, to really maybe even recruit some more people to their, to their cause. But to see just how everything fell apart after, and not just after Charlottesville because of the events of Charlottesville, but because the, the, the counter protests and the anti-fascist activism. Uh, didn't never wavered even after all of this uh, criticism from from people. Uh, you know, Richard Spencer, who went out publicly and said that Antifa won, and he stopped his tour because of it. I mean, it, yeah. it really is fascinating to watch that. You know, as as we're here talking about how the focusing on anti uh sorry talk uh focusing on the fascists and the neo-nazis who showed up at this rally in noonan georgia uh it's also uh shouldn't be understated how the people who uh believed that these people should be ignored uh how those people whether you want to you want to say they were neoliberals or whatever it's fascinating to see just how wrong they were too, because I don't think we would be in this moment where you're telling me that there might be just one more. This this movement could maybe with withstand one more big rally, but other than that, it's pretty much collapsed for the moment. I, I don't think we would have seen that if it wasn't for this the the anti-fascist activism. Well, here's here. By the way, I'll, I'll say real quick about uh, anti-fascist activism. Um, you know, there's a question of like, what is the effect of anti-fascist activism? Like, what is the what is the most intense effect? Like, yes, they've, <clears throat> excuse me, they 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 raised some stakes, right? They um, they created um instances of violence, uh, or not created instances of violence. They were present for let's just let's just say without without laying the the blame of why things got violent and confrontational. They were they were they created circumstances where uh 
um, street violence occurred that brought the nation's attention to this issue. There, there are many things that happened. I think the most important thing that happened is um, they raised the fiscal cost. Um, one of the new problems with if Milo Yiannopoulos or Richard Spencer wants to go to a school, all of a sudden the, uh, the sponsoring group and the faculty advisor now have to start having a conversation. All right, where are the hundreds of thousands of dollars going right. to come from? Because That's it's, it's, it's that much. I mean, I think it was in Gainesville. I might have been Gainesville. I, I hate getting these kinds of numbers wrong because I love being detail-oriented. But I think it was in Gainesville, Florida at Richard Spencer's last appearance that it cost – Cost every cost everything something like six hundred thousand dollars. It's 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 wildly wow. expensive to run. Oh, I, I mean, looking at yesterday, I mean, Jesus, I mean, it was a practically. I mean, it was a you know, Noonan was a police state yesterday, and that's wildly expensive. Um, so when we took, that's one of the things that you know, anti-fascist anti-fascist organizing was incredibly effective but but no no organizing is historically seen as um as effective i mean look you know after the kent state massacre and by the way the governor at the time of the of the state by the, at the time of the kent state massacre said that the that the kent state students um resembled a violent overthrow could 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 initiate a violent overthrow of of society and when the military killed those young people Something like 60% of people polled by Newsweek in the following weeks bl- laid the blame at the hands of the students. It, it, during, during Mar- and it was in the 1960s that Martin Luther King was polled – this might have been after his anti-Vietnam statements. But it was polled at like being – 80% of Americans thought that he, quote, hurt, hurt the cause, like hurt the black cause. Right. Which is funny so, because if you – again, also bringing in how people criticize – uh, why Antifa doesn't, you know, uh, police its more violent members. I mean, you can't even call them members. There is no Antifa organization. It's anyone who mm-hmm. wants to be an anti-fascist. But people forget that the one of the reasons, like Martin Luther King was a peaceful protester, but one of the reasons why he was so effective in getting done what he, in, in, in uh, advancing uh, the civil rights uh, movement was because Everyone else saw the how some of the other protesters were violent, and they were like, "Well, we better work with this guy if we want to make sure this doesn't rise into something that we really have to worry about." You know, yeah, it's it, 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 a diversity of tactics. Truly, is what's effective. And Martin Luther King knew that he didn't go out there, and you know, he presented himself and the people who marched with him as peaceful protesters, and they was a, they were a peaceful movement. But he also knew that the other movements, how how other organizations were were helping get his uh message out there and how it was forcing uh the government at least to say all right we need to talk to Martin Luther King so we can come to a some sort of agreement some sort of uh uh area where you know we can't discuss with those other people because if god forbid those people get what they want we're in real trouble then yeah i i was it's funny i was watching i was like um Rewatching because this is like the kind of nerd I am. I was rewatching the Buckley debate versus James Baldwin back in the day, um, which is like really fucking cool because ba- Buckley is like such an asshole. He's like such a monster to Baldwin. It's insane. At one point during the debate, he occurred. He basically he basically says something effective like, "You'll notice that James Baldwin's code switching for our debate tonight." Um, <laughs> uh, it's like really wildly racist and crazy. But uh, Baldwin says. Um, at one point, he, he issues this this um, really what sounds like a warning. He says, you know, I, I, I worry about – he says something like I worry about the state of things because I believe that I am reasonable and that I and Martin are reasonable, but I cannot guarantee that those at home right now who we purport to speak to – uh, that they, I'm not sure that they care that about the message, this dream that Martin and I have. I'm not sure they're listening to us, and I'm not sure they have any reason to, to believe us when we paint a picture of a brighter world. Um, right. <laughs> and I, and so, so that that specter did loom. Right. Uh, but, but yes, I am actually like very excited to see what this chapter looked like. Will have looked like in a. Now, in a textbook. Now, and I, I know, I know you're in Georgia, and you you got to get going. And, mm-hmm. and I just want to mention that going from that 
I, I do want I do think that the next thing that we're going to have to reckon with, and it should have been reckoned with a long time ago, but I think these rallies have really, really shown, uh, shown what's what uh, as clearly as can be to even people who might not be critical to this group uh, before these rallies. And that is the ranks in our police departments across the country who are at the very least white supremacist sympathizers. And I, I think we see, I mean, just look at how they treat these rallies compared to how they would treat a, a left-wing rally. I mean, they're, they're almost private security for these right-wingers. I mean, I, I believe you got removed from uh, the, uh, the Noonan event because uh, you, were, you, were, you were fingered by a white supremacist. But is that correct? Yeah, basically, basically uh, they said they saw me and they sort of burbled themselves. I said to another reporter, I was like, I think they're pointing at me. And he was like, uh, I was like, uh, the police came over and one officer looked at the other and they said, is this the guy that they want gone? Um, and the guy was like, yeah, they escorted me out. And as I was walking out, one of the members of the League of the South shouted after so long, Mr. Smith. Like, like they really and I didn't talk to any of them yet. So uh, they knew me 100 miles away. There's so that, I, that, that's yeah. Southern politeness still, though, from those neo-Nazis. I thought Mr. Mr. I Smith. Thought my, <laughs> I thought my here's the thing is like I actually, you know, and I don't I don't say this publicly. I kind of fucking pride myself on the fact that like my Twitter's pretty. Now I'm going to rant. My, I think my Twitter's like Please. pretty sparse. And I like don't that I'm pretty careful about my personal politics. And I really do try to present as much as I can. You know, I, I'm pretty dumb and like pretty online. I have online poisoning pretty hardcore, but like, uh, I'd like to think I present as fit pretty fair to these. I don't know how do I put it? Uh, fair to their ideology, and I present them in a way that at least many of them have lauded for its accuracy. So I was kind of disappointed. I was like, "Damn, guys! Like, I thought, I thought you <laughs> knew that. Like, I'm not." I thought that you knew I was a reg. I'm just a reporter, dude. Anyway, yeah, I thought my relationship with 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 the um, League of the South was better than it was, but uh, <laughs> but I guess not, uh, which is right. uh, also fine with me. Well, the problem um, is that you're you're reporting what's at what you're actually seeing and what's actually happening, and they don't live oh, in that. Well. They don't live in reality. But but yeah. you know when it comes to the police, what we see though really is that you know when there when there's police at a right wing rally. They're working to police the counter protesters. And when there's police working at a left wing rally, they're working to police the rally goers. It's a completely different dynamic. And, and it's, it's something I think that th there's something there to it. And especially when obviously I'm not saying that all police officers are white supremacists, nor am I saying that even some of these police officers who are doing this sort of stuff are white supremacists, but they definitely have some sort of sympathy for these folks. So, um, well, I mean, I'll say this, by the way, th by the way, when, I don't know if you saw the video I took of like the marching SWAT team or whatever. One other person was taking a video of that it was a police officer standing to the right of me with like a blue lives matter phone case. Right. Like, and that to me was, I, I think the blue lives, I see that and see pretty, I'd like to think I see pretty deeply into a lot of what blue lives matter reports to, um, represent, I hope. Um, and I would just say in closing, um, you know, when those businesses closed down, I'd found out that there was a Facebook post going on, going through the Noonan community about how dangerous Antifa was, that thousands were going to show up. They were going to stop first. They'll stockpile weapons in the cars and then they'll, then they'll go through the town looting. And that was on one of the doors of one of the businesses. It was anti-looting. A lot of the panic about closing down downtown Noonan, a lot of the boarding up of windows, et cetera, um, not necessarily boarding up, uh, Murfreesboro, Murfreesboro, Tennessee actually boarded up buildings. I don't think Noonan boarded anything up. But a lot of the sentiment was about um, how they thought Antifa was going to be the one pillaging and looting. I think we have to be like, pretty careful to recognize that like if you're sympathetic to anti-fascism they have they anti-fascism has most definitely i think by all accounts and measures won the platform won the platform war right uh, one they've they've pushed them out of public these guys now have to 
find new outlets. There's no long, no longer will there be significant neo-Nazi rallies in America, perhaps. But for now, it's not a vic- <laughs> for now, and it's not a victory on all fronts. I think we have to be like very careful um, to see how this the energy that inspired these rallies transforms and takes on new vocabulary and new conversations and new talking points because the shit isn't going absolutely anywhere. We still have Christian nationalism is still a rollicking and coherent, powerful force in this country. Um, People sympathizing with the police force as a, as a, as a group that protects their, Racial interests is still um, fundamental American orthodoxy in many parts of the country. Uh, and reactionary thought is, is all up in our intellectual spaces. Um, yeah, so I, I encourage everyone to follow along. But, um, the alt, the, uh, but yeah, on the one hand, the alt-right is dead. And on the other hand... Uh, Long live the alt-right, I guess. <laughs> Jack Smith IV, senior writer and reporter at Mike.com. I know I've held you way past the time you said you had available. I hope you don't miss your flight, man. Oh, no, I'll be fine. I'm just I, I'm just going to get kicked out of this hotel now. Oh, got it. Okay. Take care, man. I really appreciate this. This was great. Thanks, man. Now, literally as I was recording the intro to this episode, word got out that Milo Yiannopoulos was driven out of a bar in Brooklyn where he attempted to have lunch by 30 or so members of the DSA, a.k.a. Democratic Socialists of America, who happened to be at the same bar. What a coincidence. Uh, here, take a listen from what happened. Nazi scum, get out! 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 Literally, that's what drove Milo Yiannopoulos, one of the leading faces of the anti-feminist movement, um, the alt-right, the new right, whatever the fuck he's building himself as today. That's it. That's what drove him out. And that's what he's crying about online right now. I, I mean, I, I, I really couldn't have asked for a better example. Literally, after talking to Jack Smith about both the fizzling out of these guys' movement and how anti-fascist action, at whatever level, obviously, just works. If you liked what you heard on today's show, leave that iTunes review or become a patron for only $5 a month at patreon.com slash mattbinder. Or, like I said earlier, just spread the word. I've got some great upcoming guests in the works. Uh, other cool little things also in the works. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And with that, see you all next time on Doomed. Doomed.